Welcome to the Kokyo Project Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Sasha Hori with the Kokyo Project. My name is Chu Kim. I'm part of the Kokyo Project. And my name is Kyoko Tsuru. I'm also part of the Kokyo Project. Great. Uh, today we're speaking with Marley Cruikshank, who grew up in Brazil and is of Japanese ancestry. Welcome, Marley, and thank you for participating in the podcast. Marley, could you um, introduce yourself a little bit in a little bit more detail where you grew up in Brazil? Um, did, did your parents or your grandparents emigrate to Brazil? A little bit more kind of background. Sure. Thank you so much for letting me participate in that. Uh, my name is Marli Turiku Miura Cruikshank. I'm Sansei. I was born in a small town in the Midwest of the state of Sao Paulo, Brazil. My grandparents arrived in Brazil in early 1930s. It amazes me to think that one would travel with entire family wow. for almost two months to live in a totally unknown country. Brazil is home of the largest Japanese population outside Japan. Unfortunately, a lot of our family history is lost in time. My grandparents died before I was born. Oh. My parents were still quite young then. An interesting fact is that from my mother's family um, is that my grandfather lived in Hawaii, hmm. returned to Japan before going to Brazil. Hmm. I have uncles and aunts that were born in Japan, Hawaii, and Brazil. I also know that my grandfather became a widow and then married his younger wife's sister, which was my grandmother. The town I grew up had a large Japanese community and I have good memories of my childhood, participating in Japanese events and also in Brazilian celebration at church and school. When I was about 13 years old, my family moved to another town. We lived in a farm for about a year, um, there were some Japanese families living there also. I had a lot of fun eating mulberries, parsnips, oranges, and mangoes. So after school, I spent a lot of time clim climbing mango trees <laughs> and watch <laughs> with my dog. Uh, we moved again when I was about 14 years old to a city near Sao Paulo where I went to law school and I also started working so it was a lot of fun. Uh, after that uh, I came to New York City on vacation. I fell in love with the city and also with an American which is my <laughs> husband. Yeah, unfortunately, 
Like many Japanese descendants in Brazil, I do not speak Japanese. The first generation immigrants will often not learn Portuguese well. Oh. Most second generations are bilingual. And the third generation, however, will speak only Portuguese or non-fluent Japanese. Uh, words that I learned when I was a kid, I still remember to this day. The class I had yesterday, I don't remember much. <laughs> so I can, uh, the vocabulary I learned when I was a child, it's strong in my mind. So what, what were some of those, what were some of the Japanese the words. words that you remember? Yeah. Abunai, Motainai. <laughs> um, so those are the words and a lot of substantives also like makura and futon, things yeah. like yeah, yeah, and yeah. the funniest thing is that my um, my nephews, which is uh, Yonsei now, and um, also for from a biracial uh, marriage, uh, they call my mother uh, Bachon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so with a lot yeah. of uh, accent, so yeah. they cannot even speak without any accent. So I believe that the Japanese descendants would speak Japanese more often if they live along with the first generation relatives, you know. And uh, for us, Sansei, we are we lost. We are all integrate in the Brazilian uh, language, customs, and everything else. So, but but you said that when in childhood you you were your family went to the different Japanese events. Were, were those like, was that an agricultural community where you grew up or was it oh, like a small town or? Yeah, the small town was most, mostly agriculture. Uh -huh. However, actually it's very interesting you ask because we had um, a big industry over there, which I don't recall, oh yes they make machi machinery for farms and that's the the town was pretty much around that manufacture of um uh, agriculture equipments and stuff and interesting enough the owner was japanese descendant or japanese i do not recall that much because uh, I was so young then, but everybody in the town pretty much work in that only uh, uh, factory. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But yes, yeah, it's more central, um, middle, west in Brazil. It was back then a lot of agriculture. Yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow! 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 Yeah. So then the Japanese somehow ended up there, kind of like all together kind of like in the middle of Brazil, right? It seems unusual. Yeah, that and also, just... yes, also in Sao Paulo and Sao Paulo City, there are a lot of Japanese. Yeah. And yeah. we do have like a Chinatown, but uh, Japanese, so it's called Liberty, which is Liberdade in Portuguese. Uh -huh. And there are a lot of uh, Japanese. The community is very, yeah, 
Huh. Also, in 2008, I believe, there was a hundred years celebration of the immigration, the Japanese immigration to mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So wow. we had a lot, of, they had a lot of different events. And even the Crown Prince of Japan went to participate in that celebration. Wow. We have, in Sao Paulo, they have a big museum uh, all about the Japanese immigration to Brazil. Mm. Mm. And there, in their website, I found uh, my father and my mother's family uh, all documented. And from there, I learned the kanji word for Miura. Oh, wow. And also Nagayama, which is my mother's family. Wow. Wow, wow, that's Not, great. And even I found which ship they took and how long it took for them wow. to come to Brazil, from Japan to Brazil. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting, yeah. I'm also curious about, you mentioned that you had, is it aunts and uncles that were, grew up in Japan or are in Japan? Yes, yeah. I, uh, from my grandfather's first marriage, uh -huh. um, I believe uh, they had, he had um, a daughter and she actually stayed in Japan. So what happened is uh, my grandfather had a daughter. I'm not sure if she, he had other uh, kids. Children, yeah. But, um, then uh, when his wife died, my grandmother, who was the youngest sister, mm -hmm. went to help him with the kids. So I believe he had more than one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then he married her. I think that was uh, very common back in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then uh, he married my grandmother and then he had um, some kids in in Japan. Then he went to Hawaii. I had two, uh, one aunt and one uncle that was born in Hawaii. Then he went back to Japan. So I have some uncles and aunts that were born in Japan. Wow. And then he went to Brazil, which uh, my mother and my other aunt, the youngest sister, uh, was born in Brazil. Brazil. Mm -hmm. So he must have he must he must have had a lot of children. Actually, it sounds like he had a, a, yeah. a yeah. I, yeah 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 yeah. He had uh, I think seven. Uh -huh. My grandmother. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm wow. not sure uh, how many children he had with <laughs> his first wife. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! That's very interesting. Very interesting. And then um, you know. Making this trip, I feel that he was very adventurous because to come at those days in 1930s to, to you know, from Japan, to go anywhere from Japan to Hawaii or even Brazil, it, that takes so long, one and a half to almost two months trip. Yeah. Wow. So with kids, small kids. Wow. It, <laughs> yeah. It's a, a very, I don't know, maybe adventure or mm -hmm. courageous, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure now I would be 
willing to take small kids to a trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there had to be some powerful motivation there in terms of what he was or what the family was seeking um, in Brazil or Hawaii. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as I get older, I appreciate even more my heritage. Mm. Mm. So I decided to learn Japanese and a little more about the Japanese culture. Uh, some of the things I hear is that um, pretty much what we speak would be still speaking like a little child, like a child would speak because uh, like still at 60 years old, uh, some of my cousins still call me Rudy-chan, you know. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So it's a very like childish way to speak. And um, so I decided to learn Japanese and um, I enjoy very much. And as you learn the language, you also learn a little bit of the culture mm -hmm. now, right? Because a lot of uh, ways, um, would be like a very old way to speak Japanese, which it was best for my grandparents, to my parents, which does not, my mom speaks uh, very well Japanese, uh, but it's a still an old way, this 1930 yeah. ways to yeah. speak, you know? Yeah. So, and everything you learn is very good. And I guess it's also something like a nostalgia, yeah. Mm. Because I remember my father listening to Anka and teaching me Japanese songs. Now, and what is what time. is what is the Anka? Anka? Yeah. Uh -huh. What is Anka it? Yeah. Music is a more type of music right at those old japanese like do have you ever heard about misora hibari misora hibari no oh you no. don't okay <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe chiwu or kyoko no yeah yes. i have i have <laughs> yes yes chiwu would you like to comment on that <laughs> Yes. Uh, no, well, you know, those are the classics, you know, those are the classics right there. Yes, yes. I guess a lot of Japanese people, they will know. Yeah. Um, so, because my father listened a lot of Anka, which is kind of an old type of music, right? But very traditional also, and with a lot of melody. And uh, so sometimes I find myself looking in the internet for these old songs. Wow. So, yeah, and I actually were able to, actually until this time, uh, I see a lot of uh, the Enka. I think um, Hikawa Kiyoshi um, brought the Enka to the young people, right? In Japan, I believe, yeah. So I like the music a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I I really enjoy listening to all these old songs. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of my my father. Yeah. So what are the songs about? Well, 
I do not know. Some of them I do know, like uh -huh. Kampai. I don't know if you know Kampai. Um, but <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand all the words, let's say that way. Mm -hmm. But I do enjoy the music. The music, wow. It's very melodic. It's very nice. But you can, if you go to the internet, you can always see the translation, you know. But I also like uh, Okinawa songs, Okinawa music. I really enjoy a lot, you know. And not to say I just like the old stuff. I like Begin and, you know, the Boom. So <laughs> I do like uh, a lot the music. Yeah, I enjoy it. <laughs> How has your understanding of Japan deepened through your language study? Well, I I never been in Japan, mm. and uh, I still I believe that the, a lot of things change in Japan. The one the the way that I view Japan is a lot different than it is now, and um, so I do learn with the language a lot of the culture also right for example christmas right christmas, christmas, in, japan, <laughs> christmas in japan is is becoming very popular which he was in and you know but one of the things i learned was they eat kentucky fried chicken <laughs> on christmas so he's always knocking his head, right? Probably the greatest marketing scheme of all time. Definitely exactly. It's the smartest marketing yes. scheme done by KFC of all time. Say, say, right. say a little bit more about that. So as uh, Marley <laughs> just mentioned, it's pretty much tradition now to eat KFC in Japan for Christmas. And it's such a huge phenomenon that you could pre-order your chicken. You, you can't buy on the day of because they sell out. You have to order in advance and then they deliver it to your door. And it's very specifically KFC. It's nothing else. You can't just get any ordinary fried chicken. Supermarkets will buy from KFC and then resell just so that you can get your hands on it. And it's all because KFC did this amazing marketing campaign where they convince the Japanese people that Americans eat fried chicken on Christmas. <laughs> Although, as an American, I don't do that. I don't know anyone else who does that. But KFC managed to convince the Japanese people that that's what Americans do. And as the representative, representative of American fried chicken, KFC became incredibly successful. It's such a fascinating marketing story. And now you see it on dramas, on animation, movies, you always see Japanese people eating fried chicken on Christmas Day. Talking about cultural appropriation. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so learning Japanese language, also I learned a little bit of the culture. Not a lot, but a little bit, which is very interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's something that you learned about the culture? So that was 
that was one of the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, besides the going to school, uh, I used to go to um, the Japanese uh, Japanese Japan Society for classes. Mm -hmm. And now with the COVID, uh, the uh, the classes are via Zoom, but I stopped for a while and I just had a tutor and um, the tutor is uh, in Vancouver mm. uh, yeah um, but uh, what I miss I think that I would I don't make much progress in Japanese mm. language and the reason for that I believe is because I do not have anybody to speak Japanese or force me to speak Japanese. So that's how you really learn when you have to speak the language yeah. or you practice the language. Yeah. And uh, so what I have is what is in the books or what the teacher says. And um, also with the migration of Brazilians mm. back to Japan, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, there are a lot of classes online because the Brazilians that went to Japan to work, they do not speak Japanese and it's a big problem for them. Um, Brazilians, what I mean is Japanese descendant mm -hmm. that goes back to Japan uh, to work in uh, more like not very good type of work. It's more in um, uh, manufacturers and stuff like that. So uh, because Japan became so high tech and you know, nobody wants to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. So the, Bra the Brazilian and Japanese government had uh, an agreement. So Japan brought a lot of the Japanese descendants back to Japan to work for this type of work. So um, now we have a lot of Brazilians in Japan working that don't speak Japanese at all. And that mm -hmm. problem is a cultural problem for them. Also a problem, usually I heard that there is somebody who speaks Japanese and tells the other people what to do but there is a big uh, big uh, necessity of learning Japanese in Japan you know for the immigrants mm. now they are immigrants back <laughs> to Japan right um, in Brazilian culture in all of us are very very strong you know in our food, in our way of being, like we are more, um, we talk loud. <laughs> we talk loud, we laugh loud, we kiss everybody, we, you know, hug each other. And it's very different, but it is very strong in us, even Japanese descendants. And Japanese are more like, you know, 
So uh, there is a, a little difference uh, in behavior, let's mm. say. So um, there are now a lot of people trying to learn Japanese at least a little bit because their sons and daughters are going to school and they cannot help or they cannot have communication with teachers and mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So now there are a lot of classes online for free, you know, and uh, I'm taking also these classes. Oh, okay. Yes, live yeah, okay. and free. And I mean, it's not like advanced Japanese, but it's in Portuguese. Uh -huh. All the explanation of grammar, kanji, and vocabulary, articles, they are all explained in Portuguese. There's also another person that teaches, but more towards the uh, work, work stuff. Mm -hmm. Machine, mm -hmm. the, the machine broke. Mm -hmm. so, this really does not interest me that much because yeah. it's specific for that type of work that a lot of Brazilians do over there. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's very interesting because not everywhere you're gonna learn how to say that machine and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. yeah. Also they give the classes like by subject. If mm -hmm. you go to hospital, so they teach you how to say antibiotics, surgery, uh, injections, you know, mm -hmm. all, all that. So yeah. there are a lot of different. Well, yeah, it must be very interesting also because of um, Japanese is a very syllabic language and also Portuguese is also very syllabic language. Yes. It would be very interesting to, to bridge from there as opposed to when you learn it from, let's say, English or you know because it's not like that whereas like, there's this natural tendency from portuguese because it's to to speak in syllabus then also the bridge there to japanese so that, that must be very very um makes it easy i think right to it sure does. Uh, conceptualize those similarities helps a lot it sure does uh portuguese you speak spanish correct and Spanish is very similar. And a little bit of Portuguese, so <laughs> <laughs> It's very similar. I do understand uh, Spanish. I read Spanish. I can communicate in Spanish, probably. Not everything comes correctly. Maybe not uh, a lot of the words that are very different. Um, so I probably will make a mistake, but I can't communicate in Spanish. Um, but uh, Japanese, uh, going back to that, yes, it's a it's a consonant vowel, consonant vowel in uh, Portuguese, pretty much. So I, I just I have two more questions. So. One is like, so Marley, so when are you going to go to Japan? Well, we had plans. Um, I studied Japanese um, with uh, three other people since the beginning, the first class. So how, how long has that been? Uh, about five years. Oh, yeah. Long time. So, um, 
we had a plan to go to Japan all together and um, next year. However, with all that happened, uh, I think we have to postpone. postpone. Because, uh, also, I have family in Brazil. My mom is in Brazil and my vocation is going to Brazil to see my mom. That's my vocation. You know, I don't go to any other place than go see my mom once a year. Yeah. So this year I did not go. So of course next year I must go. My mom yeah. is 87 years old and, um, you know, I have to spend that this time with her. So if it's possible after, not next year, but somewhere along the line, I have to go to Japan. Yeah, you definitely have to go to Japan. Um, so my last question is, um, what is most important to you about the Japanese culture? Well, it is important because that's part of me. Mm. And uh, I think that also it brings me a lot of uh, memories of my, fa my father that passed away. You know, he was a very proud Japanese. <laughs> so, yes, so I think that is important to me also know, you know, where I come from. You know, although I do not have this attachment to Japanese, I'm proud of being Japanese descendant. I'm proud of my grandparents that had the courage to face another world, you know. And also, I think this, a little bit of this adventure spirit, I carry with me because, you know, I came from this Still, I move from country to country. I move city to city, neighborhood to neighborhood. So I do not have much attachment. But inside of me, the Japanese part is still very strong, even though I never been in Japan. Shiwu, did you have something? Or Kyoko? Uh, Marty, you spoke about uh, some of your relatives uh, uh, being in Japan and Hawaii. Are you, are you in, in contact with them? Um, do you know anything about them? Well, when my grandfather went back to Japan from Hawaii, he took his whole family. So I do not have any relatives in Hawaii at this time. Uh, I know I have relatives in Japan, but uh, from his first marriage, but I do not. I, I remember when I was growing up that uh, everybody in the family, uh, my oldest uncle, um, gather everybody together to sign a document to, uh, to say that they were not taking any part of the inheritance that my my grandfather left in Japan, because all the properties or whatever he had was all the taxes and everything was paid by them. So everybody here in Brazil 
had to sign a document saying that they would not uh, want any piece of the debt. Uh, that's why I learned that I have relatives in Japan, but we never had any contact with them. I do have though cousins that went to Japan and they are living there. So yes, I do have contact with them, but not the old, you know, my, my um, grandfather's daughter or other part of the family. I do not. I have cousins that went back to, to Japan and they are living there. Unfortunately, you know, I wish we had, uh, but at this, at that time in 1930s, communication is not like today, right? So it was very hard to uh, keep in contact with everybody, right? Even uh, there is a, a movie, actually a Brazilian movie about that, is um, about two sisters that um, when their family came from Japan to Brazil, one of the girls were left behind because she had a fever or something and they did not accept her, you know, coming in the ship. So one of the sisters was left behind. And the, the oldest sister went to Brazil and she was always writing letters to, to her younger sister, but the younger sister never got this, these letters. So she always thought that they abandoned her. So then old, old, uh, later on, when they are old already, this lady goes back with, his, with her grand, grandson to find the sister, the lost sister, and she found, and she was doing very well in life, but she thought that she wants help, but that's why she looked for her, because she was doing well. But the, the misunderstanding and the lack of communication at that time, you know, made it a lot difficult to keep the families right together or the family history together yeah 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 what you said yeah yeah <laughs> so, yeah as i yeah. get older i want to learn more about my family you know because i grew up only with uncles and aunts i i don't know how it is to have a grandpa or a grandma you know i don't have that so, but now most of my aunts and um, uncles also are dead. From my mom's generation, it's only my mom and her younger sister that are alive. Mm -hmm. So, and they were very young when their parents died. So that's why I cannot have that history, the family history, you know. And as I get older and older, I become more and more curious about my family, but I don't have where to look for. Mm. 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 That's that. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there anything else, um, Marley, that you'd like to uh, say, or do, Chiwu or Kyoko? Do you have any other questions for Marley? I. 
I read a lot about immigration, uh, the Japanese immigration in Brazil, and uh, a lot of people feel that they were discriminated and everything else. And also the history of Japanese descendants here in America, which is a lot different because the World War II, I believe. But one of the things I want to say is that I never felt different, misplaced, or discriminated. I never felt that way because I think um, when you don't allow yourself to feel that way, and it is the thing that I belong where I am. Mm. And you have to be strong because most of the time, it's not that people discriminate you, but you're feeling that you are being discriminated. That's one of the things I think is important for uh, Japanese descendants to realize is that not accept discrimination or anything, but it comes from you first, right? Not to think you are being discriminated. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Marley, for your participation. Well, thank and, you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you to our listeners for um, listening in. And this is the Kokyo Project podcast. Uh, signing off for now until next time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>